Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. ACF family. Let's celebrate being together today, can we? So good. Aren't you thankful for heat today? Oh my gosh, I was just sitting there singing going, I gotta start moving or something. I'm about to start like a trash can fire on the stage here. It's just, it's cold. It is bitter cold. If you're with us online, we love you. We're grateful for you uh, as, as you're part of our family. Hopefully you're by a fire, drinking some coffee, doing something to stay warm here today. But we are in a series called One. We're talking through uh, the oneness that God calls the church to. And there's just great things happening around our church. Was anybody here Friday night for our night of worship? Yeah, so good. You guys, listen, the roof got ripped off here. It was amazing. Uh, we, had, we had a packed house together here, just worshiping God and, and praying together, praying for many of you uh, who are here today. And so just know this, God is doing uh, incredible things in our midst. And I think there's just like a fresh movement of, of of Christians being open to the work of his spirit and the power of his spirit and just tapping into that reality that the same power that raised Christ from the dead actually lives in you. And we say those words, but if we believe that, it's going to change our lives. It's going to change the way we worship. We talked about this reality that I think a lot of us are afraid to express ourselves or, or afraid even of what it means to live in the spirit. But, but to have Jesus means to have the spirit of God. And when you have the Spirit of God, it changes your worship. Literally, the way you worship, the way you give affection to God is an expression of how true you believe Jesus is. And so I just want you to think about that today. As we close out the message here today, as we worship at the end of our time together today, I just want you to worship in the same way that you believe how true the resurrection is in your life. And let that come out of your mouth and out of your body as you worship. So just something that's just super exciting that's happening around here. We've been talking about this prayer in John chapter 17 where Jesus prays that the church would be one. And he doesn't just say, you know, unify like together. He says one. He wants the church to be one as he and the Father are one, which we said is miraculous. 
It's supernatural. This is more than unity, more than sitting next to somebody at church together or having a friend that you work with or, or somebody that you're in a Bible study with. This is a oneness at a deep spiritual level. And, and even we see this in, in marriage and in relationships often talked about like this oneness that you have in marriage. And, and it's the same way that, that we should have that connection with one another. And Jesus seems to pray this. Uh, for the church because he knows that uh, really we are going out as sheep among wolves, right? We are uh, a people of God in a community, in a world that maybe doesn't acknowledge God. And, and it's not easy to follow Jesus in that world. It's not easy to be, open your mouth about who Christ is in that world. And, and in fact, if you're fairly new, we just went through a whole series about the spiritual battle that exists all around us. We talked about that because coming into this fall, we wanted to raise awareness of the reality that you have an enemy that does not want you unified with one another and that does not want the mission of God to be completed. And so we want to acknowledge that reality in the world around us so that then we can unify. That's why the next series that we're teaching into is about unity because when God's people are unified, nothing can stop the church. And we believe that, that, that in the end, nothing will stop God's church, that that is really how the story goes. The question is, will you be a part of it? Will you be a part of the movement? Will you be a part of seeing lives be transformed and seeing it be in Alaska and in the world as it is in heaven? And so last week, Britt did a great job of explaining the, the problem, our one problem, which is sin. The problem with, uh, with unity in the church is that we are all human beings. And uh, maybe already today you're like, I've already blown it right? Today was going to be my day. And I already screwed this thing up, right? I spoke that way to my kids that I thought I wasn't going to. I've already messed up in this way. I've already got anger in my heart. I'm at church today and I'm cold and I wish I was in the South. And so I'm already mad. And, and maybe you're like, I've already blown it today. That's because you're a sinful being. And, and so am I. That's how we are born into this problem of sin, which Jesus chooses to deal with. By God's love, he sends Jesus to deal with the problem of sin in the world and to restore our relationship with him. I love that God wanted to deal with our sin. He didn't just let us sort of swim around in it. The problem is we try to fix it on ourselves, and this is really the issue that we come back to every single week. Uh, so earlier this week, my wife came into the garage. I was doing some work there, and she came in, and she's like, Honey, we're going to urgent care. And I was like, Well, that's bad news. What's this about? She said, well, uh, Grayson, who's my little boy, he's nine, he was throwing a football to himself in his bedroom, and uh, he threw it, and he d tried to catch it, and he landed on his shoulder, and she said he popped his shoulder out of the socket. And I was like, well, that sounds bad, but I want to see. I want to, this is, this is going to go inside, and so I go inside, and, and there he is, and he's kind of whimpering, and he's, he's upset, but you can clearly see his shoulders shifted forward. There's something wrong with his shoulder, and so Amanda's like, we got to take him in, and I'm like, oh, wait, 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 like, we can fix this, right? Like I, I've seen Lethal Weapon back in the day. Anybody? Like, there's anyway. There's a whole scene where he pops his shoulder back in to the socket by just slamming it up against the wall. I figured just give him like a leather belt to chew on, and uh, Dad can fix the problem, right? And she's like, of course, no, not going to happen. Uh, thank God she knows more about the human body than I do. And so we go in and get him checked out, and they X-rayed him, and he has a broken collarbone. Uh, can you, can you imagine? I'm like, why isn't it going in, son? Just grit your teeth. Just hurting my poor child. Go to prison for stuff like that. I just, I think about, 
I was thinking about that this week because I was thinking, you know, that's, that kind of tends to be the problem with sin in our world. We all have these problems. Like you showed up today and you got problems. I got problems. And we just kind of, we try to fix it on our own. We try to make it better. We go to, you know, try to figure out how I can help myself. And I say this a lot. Self-help doesn't work because myself is the problem. And, and so I can't fix myself. And so you try to find this, this cure or this way to get better. Or you try to get around these people and maybe they'll fix you. And, and God forbid you actually do fix your behavior on your own. And you actually do kind of maybe get around people that can kind of make your life feel better without truly realizing your need for a savior. I mean, this, this happens all the time. And there's this, this sick cycle where we just try to make it better. We try to fix the problem and we're just making it worse. Can you imagine how much damage I would have caused trying to fix that problem myself? What my son needed was, uh, he needed to be healed and he needs healing. He needs his body to do what it does. And, and we need to be healed. We need Jesus to do a work in our hearts. And, and when he does that work, what's going to happen is the church will be connected. Relationships will be restored. We will live not just as those who sit at church next to one another on Sunday morning, but as a community of one under the name of Jesus. And so if you have a pen, write this down. Here's kind of the big idea today. Sin separates, but the cross connects. So we talked all last week about how sin separates. I want to talk today about how the cross connects us. How is it that this thing that happened 2,000 years ago is a reality that can affect our connection with those who sit in this room together, those who are part of this community together? And if you want to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be in a text there today for most of the morning. I'll jump around a little bit. And just kind of a caveat, if you're like new to church today, and maybe this is your first time to ACF, we're so excited you're here. This text is a little weird. So if you're like, I don't know about this Jesus stuff, I haven't really read the Bible much, um, it starts off a little strange, uh, but we're going to make some sense out of it. So give me time. Give me, just hold off on your judgments, okay? So, so here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, what he's talking about is division in the church. He's talking about who you are as a person, who you were, and who you are today. And here's what he says in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember. Everybody say this word with me. Remember. Remember. Keep that in your mind. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So this is God's word for us today. Um, and, and I don't know, as you, as you kind of think about the division that existed in their day, and you think about the division that exists in our day, I, I think sometimes we minimize what was going on then and, and maximize what's going on now. We're like, well, it's, it's so much worse today, but I don't think we have any clue how divided their culture was and how divided the people were as they were coming together under the name 
of Jesus. You've got these Jewish and Gentile peop- people who hated one another. They really did. They, Gentile people, they didn't like the, the Jewish people for a lot of different reasons. First, they thought the Jewish people were lazy because they took a day off a week, the Sabbath, right? Uh, they thought that they were elitist because they believed there was only one God and not many ways to get to God. And then you've got the Jews who felt superior to the Gentiles because they were God's chosen people. They were God's chosen race. And so at the root of this division, there's a religious separation. And if you've been in the church for a while, you've heard kind of the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. But this isn't merely a religious tension. At the root of the tension happening in the first century was a racial tension. This was about race, two different races that were then coming together in the church. So then you've got this Jewish man, Jesus, and he he's living in a Jewish context, teaching the Jewish scriptures, and then he's reaching out to the Gentiles. And he seems to eat with them and spend time with them, and it's almost like he loves them. And this is really difficult for the Jews of their day to understand and to get their minds wrapped around this. And so they, again, they're they're like, hey, you are not part of God's covenant. We are God's chosen people. And Jesus is is saying something here, like something is going on. There's, there's a shift in the way that God is, 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 is reacting and and responding to the world and, and, and connecting with the world. And there's this, this new thing that's being created. That's bigger than simply being a Jew. And so then the Jews are going, well, okay, so if you're going to start including the Gentiles into this family, then they're going to have to do some things. Like, they're going to have to follow some rules. And so the first thing, they need to follow the law of Moses, right? And then the second thing is they need to be circumcised. So this is just, this is just like what they're expecting. Now, let's be real. This is kind of a weird thing to talk about in church. I know some of you came to church today. You're like, I just hope Pastor Brian talks about circumcision. I just, of of all the things, you know, I hope he talks about this. But this was a really specific thing that God called his people to do as a physical sign that God's people were different and set apart. A sign of him that us being uh, God's covenant people was the, the act of circumcision. And, and again, it's, it's like a, it's a strange thing and it's a weird thing and it's, it's kind of gross and it's bloody and like it's intimate and it's just all these things. And we're like, why would you even talk about this in the church? But understand in all of this, God always had a purpose. He was trying to show them the severity of sin. And what it meant to be a chosen people, a different people, that sin is messy and it's gross and it's intimate, right? But God saves us in our sin. And that's what this represented to his people. And so they're like, well, you're going to become one of us. Here's what you have to do. And so what Paul's going to make a case for here is that this is, this does not mean what you think it means. In other words, like it's not the, the only way to say that you are set apart. And, and it's not something that, that ultimately saves you, that having these following the law the right way or, or having these outward signs of being a covenant people are not the means to salvation. And this is a big deal for Paul because like these people, they're feeling superior to the Gentiles, right? The Jews are like, we're superior to them because of what we do and what we've done. And so Paul's going to say, no, not really, not the way you think you are. And it's a big deal because Paul himself, we know Paul was a very religious man. In Philippians 3, it says this. It says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul speaking. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, 
As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So he was persecuting the church as a Jew. He didn't believe that um, Jesus was who he said he was until he had an amazing, miraculous moment on the road to Damascus. And so, uh, but what, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul looks back at all his religion. He's like, I count it all as loss. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever met anyone who thinks they're better than everyone else? Can you think of somebody? You're like, yep, every time around them, I feel like I am less than. They definitely think they're better. How's that make you feel? What, what do you think about that? And, and I guess the question is, you know, maybe you're like, well, I haven't met anybody that thinks they're better than someone else. Probably the answer is, well, you're that person, right? Uh, maybe you're the one doing it. But, but the reality is we all do it to some degree or another. We all walk into different spaces and we try to size people up. We try to figure out, like, am I better or worse than these people? You probably did this when you came into church today. I know when you come in as a new person, when you're new to a church community, you're looking around and you have no idea what's going on in these people's lives. And the tendency can be in the church to walk in here feeling like you are less than the rest, especially if you're new or especially if you are a new believer. But Ephesians 2.15 says this, Jesus set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now, this is really important to understand. This wasn't just the Mosaic law. Jesus is actually, there's talking about something else going on here because he uses the word regulations, regulations. And when I was studying this this week, I realized that that Paul wasn't just talking about the law given by God. He was talking about these additional laws, these regulations that existed in their day. Because what the Jews had done is they'd taken the law and then they had multiplied it and said, well, here are some additional ways to make yourself really holy. Like, like this is like next level what it means to follow God. I'm going to give you some additional rules, additional regulations. And these regulations created separation between people. Sort of a caste system, like here's who's better and here's who is worst. And so what you need to know is the longer you are a Christian, the more time you spend in the church, the more tendency you're going to have to, to elevate what you do best to make yourself feel better than all the rest. The longer you spend in the church, the more temptation you'll have to elevate what you do best to make you feel better than all of the rest. And so I want you to just kind of take a second in your own mind, in your own heart this morning and ask yourself, what is my law? What is my regulation that I place on other people? And I say, well, this is why I'm better. Or this is the standard that somebody needs to follow so that you can be like me, so that you can be one of God's good, good guys or good people. And so what is it? Maybe it's something like uh, you read your Bible really well. Like you, you're, you've got a really consistent Bible reading. And so you're like, well, if you're going to be part of the elite crowd, like you're going to have a really consistent, quiet time in the morning. Maybe you've got really well-behaved children. You're like, oh, my kids will always behave. When I'm at the grocery store or at church, like they're going to listen. And so for you, this is a really big deal. And so you're like, if you're going to be, you know, one of us, your kids are going to act perfect in the candy aisle at Fred Meyer. What is it? Maybe, uh, maybe you're the only guy at work who doesn't cuss all the time. And so you're like, I don't say the swears. And so that's why I'm God's special person. And, and so you elevate yourself above the rest. Maybe you're a very generous person. God's given you the gift of generosity. And so you always go above and beyond when it comes to giving. And you're like, oh, this is what it means to be God's special person. And maybe you go to church consistently. Maybe 
you're the good kid at school. People just know like, hey, this person, they seem to be every teacher's uh, teacher's favorite. Maybe it's your systematic theology, right? You've read some books and uh, you went to Bible college. And so you walk in and you, you kind of, you stand tall and proud because of what you've learned in your education. And again, these aren't necessarily bad things, but your regulation, your law is whatever you point to in order to justify a division between yourself and another child of God to elevate yourself, to feel superior to someone else. And Paul says, hey, Jesus decimated your regulations and your laws through the cross. He decimated them. And this is why the cross is so important. This is why the victory of Jesus is so important to unify the church today. Write this down. The cross renders our religion worthless in light of Christ. That's how we should walk in this building every Sunday morning. That's how we should be part of the, we should get around other Christians and be like, my religion, no matter how good I think I am, is worthless in light of Christ. And I just want you to know, the longer that you're a believer, the more it will be a temptation to feel superior. Because what's going to happen is the process of what we call sanctification, which is God actually changing your life and allowing you by his strength, not by yours, to, to surrender more of your heart and more of your life to his authority. So that's what we try to do every week. We try to come before God. We get together. We worship. We open the word of God. We go, God, can you just help me surrender to your authority in my life? And the more you do that, the more it's going to change what you do. And, and, and it's going to, your behavior is going to start to align with Christ and, and your words are going to start to align with Christ and, and your, your, your thoughts are going to start to align with Christ. And as that happens, the tendency can start to be that we feel somewhat superior to others. Like, look what I've done. I've got my life together. We can start feeling like by some way we have changed our own lives and forget that the cross is literally what sustains you. Do you ever think of who you would become apart from the grace of Jesus right now? Like, do you ever think like who you are today? If you've been a believer for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, and let's say you have overcome some challenging temptations or overcome some terrible behavior. Like, man, I used to have such an anger problem or I used to be so abusive to people or I used to have this, this lust issue in my heart and, and God freed me from that. Do you know that he sustains you right now? He doesn't only put the breath in your lungs. He protects you from the world, from yourself, from all of those things. In every moment, we are nothing apart from the cross of Christ. And so we need to believe that and know that to be true. It is, it is our job, I think, to come in here. And when we, t- we talk about the cross, you're like, they're always singing about Jesus. Yep, that's kind of what we do. Um, and there's a reason for that because when we sing about Jesus, and these words are on the screen, and we're singing together about Christ and about the cross, what it should do is make you feel one with the people around you. It should really connect us together. Here's why. Because it's really hard to feel self-righteous when you look at the cross. It's really difficult to feel fully yourself and confident in your flesh and in your uh, righteousness when someone is literally bleeding out for you. When you're the reason Christ died. You see, we are the reason Christ went to the cross. You and I are all the reason Jesus died. He knew you would be here today. He knew you would struggle in the way you struggle. And so he made a plan before time began to restore you to himself. That's an amazing story. 
But we forget that so easily because we start to just feel comfortable in our skin and comfortable with our lives. And, and, and God changes us and protects us in all of these ways. And we forget that he is who sustains us. He's the one that keeps us going. So let me be clear, ACF Church, look at me. There are no varsity Christians at ACF Church. None. None. There are no varsity Christians. We are all the kid who made the team because our mom paid off the coach. That's who we are. That's every single one of us in the room. We're not like, oh, I belong here. No, you don't. There's not one of you, including myself, who belongs here or who belongs at the feet of a holy God. Listen, these are, these are the words that change the way you worship. When this reality sinks in, man, we come to God trembling. Just like, oh my gosh, I'm standing before a holy God. How could I possibly do that? When you lose that, it's because you've started for, to forget what Christ is doing for you right now. Not just what he's done, but what he's doing for you. He is our mediator. He's the one that stands between us and the Father. He is, when, when God looks upon us, he sees Jesus. And I know he won't take that away. I'm confident in my salvation, but sometimes it's a good exercise to think of what life might be like if he did. You know, it's an exercise in gratitude and it should cause me to come before God in a different way. And I'll tell you for me uh, as a pastor, this is really important. I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone that I'm, I'm no better than anyone in the room. You need to hear me say that. Like this platform may be elevated, but my position is not. And so it can be such a temptation as a pastor to show up and think that people are here to serve me when God has just given me this moment in time to serve the church. And even for people in the church, like I'm not the only one to blame. Guess what? You are too. Because a lot of times Christians can put pastors up on pedestals. In fact, it can be a real problem. And years ago, I read a book by Chuck Colson called The Body. I would encourage you to read it. Really good book. Um, but he talks about what's called the pedestal complex. That, that pastors, anybody can get this, but, but church leaders can get what's called a pedestal complex. We can put ourselves up on a pedestal, but the, the people kind of want you there. It's like, man, I just want my pastor to be this perfect person, right? Because if he can't do it, then certainly I can't. Like, I just want to look at somebody that's nailed it, you know? And so it can be this complex. And then that person ultimately fails you because just so you know, I will fail you. Let me be the first to say, I will fail you as a human being. Like, God help us if I am the standard for holiness. If you're not looking to Jesus first, God help us if you're looking to a human being to determine what is absolutely right in the world because any human being will fail you. And this is part of the problem is like then what happens is we start to kind of revel in people's failure and we live in a society that celebrates when church leaders fail or when anybody fails. Like we love the gossip column, right? We love to listen to news stories about the next person, the next scandal, you know, the next thing that went wrong. And then the gossip is out there and we're talking about it around the water cooler. In fact, there was this uh, podcast that a bunch of people kept texting me uh, recently. And it's about a church and a church leader uh, who really kind of blew it. And it's about all of this church leader's mistakes that he made and the terrible things maybe that he said. And they're playing all these sound bites. And the whole thing is, I mean, it's like one of the number one Christian podcasts right now. And it's just blowing up the whole scene. People are like, you got to listen to this because it's, it's kind of a cautionary tale for the church. Like, here's some things not to do, right? And certainly there's some things to learn. But a friend of mine was like, dude, I can't stop listening to this podcast. I don't know why. And I'm like, I know why. The same reason I can't stop listening to it. Because we love to watch people fail. 
Like we think, okay, we're just learning some things. And certainly there's some power in watching these stories and going, man, there's some stuff I can learn. But let's be honest. The reason that we can't stop listening to a lot of things is because like, oh, what's going to happen, you know? And it makes us feel better about ourselves. In fact, I was, I was listening to uh, another pastor talk about this. And he, he said it this way. He's like, some people call this like a cautionary tale. He said, I call it failure porn. Like we just watch this going, oh, this is going to be good. I just love watching this person fail, right? And it's almost the opposite of what Instagram does, right? I mean, when we go to Instagram, it, it messes us up, right? Because on Instagram, everyone else's best moments are compared to our worst moments, and we feel te- terrible about ourselves, right? So we're like, oh, look, they're in Tahiti. Oh, oh, look at them. They're on a beach somewhere. I'm sitting here, you know, with my hair all a mess, and I'm eating Cheerios. Whatever it is, like... We compare this, their best moments to our worst moments, and we feel terrible about ourselves. Things like this are where we compare somebody else's worst moments to our best moments so that we can feel superior to others. Do you see kind of the sick part of that 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 feeds? So again, like, again, there's probably, there's beneficial things in hearing a story, but I'm just saying, like, whatever it is, we seek things that will make us feel better about ourselves. But when we truly embrace that we're the ones that killed Jesus, we will realize that we're not above any kind of sin. And instead of using someone else's failures to numb our own shame, we'll become one in solidarity with them. When we look at somebody who's screwed up, we should go, I am him. I am her. I am, I am, I am the same because I am someone that desperately needs the grace of Jesus. So we talked about this idea of circumcision. This was their a symbol of being set apart. God gave us baptism. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. This new way of publicly declaring that you are set apart as the people of God. We could go back to the old way, but it would really cut down on our new believer cards on Sunday morning, I think. Just saying. First step in following Jesus Anyway, I won't go there. Uh, Ephesians 2.14, let's keep going. Sideline there for a minute. For he himself is our peace, he, he being Jesus, who has made the two groups one. Who are the two groups? Jews and the Gentiles, right? The two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, what's this dividing wall? What's, what's he talking about? Is this just kind of like something that's, is this like a metaphor for something? No, they literally had a dividing wall. In the Herodian temple, there was a wall that separated the Jewish court from the Gentile court so that they were not actually worshiping together. Can you imagine what kind of tension that would create? Like, what if we just did that at ACF? We literally put a wall down the center of this room. Over here are all you new Christians. Over here are all the varsity Christians, right? Can you imagine how that would feel, the division that would create? That's literally what they did. And I was thinking about this week, you know, like, no, none of us would really want to do that, but I was thinking it would almost be better if we did, because at least then we would admit that we feel superior to other people. Like, if we created a wall, we're like, oh yeah, those people go on that side of the wall, at least then we'd have to admit that, like, oh, we're different, and we're separate, we are not one. But this, this, this reality that we feel superior, it can be so insidious and so hidden in our hearts, we don't even notice it sometimes. So I want to ask you this question. Who's on the other side of the wall for you? 
Who do you place on the other side of the wall? Because this is literally what they were doing. And he's saying the cross, Jesus has removed the barrier, broken down the dividing wall of hostility, literally torn down the wall. Uh, historically, first century Jews would pray a prayer every morning and it, go, it went like this. You guys are going to love this. Blessed art thou, O God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Their words, not mine. I'm just saying, like, don't shoot the messenger here. Thank God that I'm not a, a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Interestingly enough, if you read in Acts 16, some of the first few additions to the early church were a woman named Lydia, a demon-possessed slave, and a Gentile prison guard. God's funny like that sometimes. He likes to say, oh, you've got your standards, huh? You've got who's on the other side of the wall, huh? I'm going to start my church with those people. I'm going to show you the church and, and, and the cross is for those who are meek and poor and needy, who admit their need for grace. The, the cross is not for those who think they've got this figured out. It's for the hurting and the dying and those who need it. So how does Jesus satisfy our differences in the church today? The answer is really simple. By one victory through the cross. One victory through the cross. Ephesians 2.15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. There's that word again. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So the first thing is this. The cross makes us into a new humanity. We are literally a new humanity. First century believers would call themselves a third race. Not the Jews, not the Gentiles, but we are a third race, a new race of people. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Uh, so I'm a white guy. Just, just telling you, I'm a white guy. And uh, when I hang out with people from other races, I know it and they know it. They know we're different, right? And so what's not happening here is like, let's just act like there are no differences. Let's just all be the same as a church family. No, that'd be terrible. We, we should not be the same. But here's what happens. I love that when I get together with people from a different race who are fellow believers, it's not that we don't admit that we're different. It's just that the reality of Christ and who he's done and who he is and what he's done on the cross matters more than our differences. It's the central reality of our relationship is the cross, not the things that are different between us. And so the cross makes us into this new humanity where we don't deny our differences. We celebrate them. They just don't carry as much weight as they used to. What else does the cross do? Ephesians says this, the cross kills the hostility between believers. It kills it. it des I love this violent language in this text towards the hostility. <laughs> it's, it's not just like it coddles the hostility. It just lets it hang out a little bit. No, it destroys it. It kills the hostility between believers. Paul says the only thing standing between you and any other follower of Jesus today is the cross. It's not what they said or what you said, what they did or you did, whether better or worse. It's the only thing standing between you. And so guess what? You don't have to be so offended. You don't have to feel so separate. You don't have to feel superior. You don't, they don't have to feel superior. You don't have to feel lower. They don't have to feel lower. We are one in Christ Jesus. There is no hostility between us when we know that Christ is what stands between us. Uh, we talk a lot about being a church for the unchurched and the de-churched. 
And uh, for me, I love it when people come to church and they're super cynical and skeptical about churches and pastors. Um, and and I, I remember one, one point somebody asked me, like, why doesn't that offend you? And I'm like, how can it offend me? Because I've been there. Like, when I, when, I, when I see somebody, I meet somebody who's like, I don't know if I can trust you, dude with the microphone. I get it. Because I felt that before, too. And so when I look at you, I'm like, I am you. I, I, I am you. And so it doesn't offend me when I see you and I, and I look at you and I say, that's, that's me. There can be no hostility between us. I mean, maybe there can be from you, but it's not going to come from me. Because I know what Christ has saved me from and through. And so when I see you, I don't feel hostility toward you. My identity is not in my problems or my mistakes or my, my worldview. My identity is in Christ alone. And when my identity is in Christ alone and not what I've done or what I haven't done, but it's in Jesus, there is a oneness that's created. There's a connection that can be created. And if you're here today and you're like, well, Brian, I don't feel hostile towards other Christians. I, I'm just trying to drink my coffee on a Sunday morning. Just chill out a little bit. I don't have any hostility in my, in my own heart. I just, here's the deal. Like we all need to grow in oneness with one another. And we might not realize that there's something standing between us, but there is. There, there are things that are between us and we don't even know it. And, and if you don't know where your, your hostility is, just consider this. Wherever your false identity lies, there your hostility will be. Wherever your false, if your identity is in being the best mom in the world, you're going to have hostility towards other moms. If your identity is in being the most talented person in the room, you're going to have hostility towards people who are talented in the room. If your identity is in being a good church girl or a good church boy, like you're going to have hostility towards other church people in the room. You're just going to have hostility, especially where your false identity lies. And our journey as a church family is coming back to, I am centered and grounded in who Christ Jesus has called me to be, who he says I am. And so I can look at you and not think enemy. I think brother. I think sister. I think family member. We are one in Christ Jesus together. And when your identity is in Christ, what happens is your hostility doesn't go away. It gets just, it gets transferred towards sin. It gets transferred toward the enemy, the true enemy, not that person, but Satan himself. And so know this, like maybe you do need a little more hostility, but not towards a person, but towards the true enemy that exists. Ephesians 2.18 finishes up with this. For though we have, we both have access or for through him, I'm sorry, for through him being Jesus, we both have access to the father by one spirit. So the last thing is this, the cross gives us one spirit. We are of one spirit together. In other words, we are following one primary voice and good news, it's not mine. Good news, it's not mine. I am, I am not the primary voice that is driving the church. It's Jesus and it always should be and ultimately it always will be. He is the primary, primary voice, the primary spirit driving the church. You see, there was a lot of division in the first century about what voices to listen to. They were constantly bickering and arguing about who to follow and who to listen to. And, and they had the same issue of putting people up on a pedestal, creating the pedestal complex and, and watching people and just following a person and making that person the center of your life. And here's their argument. First Corinthians three, verse one says, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, 
But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, verse 4 says this, for, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely, merely being human? He's like, listen, church, you guys are being so immature because you're fighting about what human being you're following. And we're kind of no different today, right? We argue about th- these things all the time. Well, I listen to this pastor, right? I'm part of this uh, Baptist church, or you know, I'm part of the Catholic church, or you know, I'm part of the Presbyterian church, or I'm non-denominational, which is like its own denomination. And so like, we're all part of something, and we would just like to identify with that thing, identify with this person or this leader or this individual. Paul's like, you are merely being fleshly. You're, once again, you're not putting just confidence in your own flesh, back to the circumcision idea, but in, 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 in what you, you did, you're putting confidence in what somebody else is doing. You're shooting too low. Again, God help us if I am ultimately the goal, right? If, if me as a church leader or any other pastor, any other church leader is the one driving your spiritual life, is the primary voice into your life, God help us. This is why when a church leader does fail in one way or another, it's so damaging to people because we're like, I had no idea that they were so messed up. Let me just break it to you. We're all pretty dang messed up. Whether you realize that today or tomorrow or the next day, we need a higher goal, a higher standard, and ultimately we come back to Christ and we say, Jesus is the voice. The Spirit of God is ultimately the one I listen to. I hope that when I get up here and I read the Word, you go home and you go, was he making that up? I don't know. I'm going to read my Bible. Because we want to come back to the voice of God, the Spirit of God. We want to find out what he has to say to us. And in the end, when we have that firm foundation, our identity is firmly in Christ Jesus, not in anybody else. The hostility will go away towards one another. We'll start to live as one together. We're going to talk about that next week coming into Thanksgiving, what it means to be one family of God, how we can actually be that together. But more than that, what it does is it propels the mission of God into our community. And we said that the first week, that we have a mission to be on. And Christians use this language a lot. We say, uh, our job is to die to ourselves. Maybe you've said that before. This idea that we're to die to ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus. It's no longer about what we've done. It's about what Christ has done. But what I never hear Christians talk about is dying to other people. We want to die to ourselves, make it not about what we do, but we still place that burden on other people all the time. And that's why we feel superior to them. That's why we don't love them the way, the way that Christ does. But I believe we have a calling not just to die to ourselves, but, but to die to one another, to love one another and serve one another and to see our neighbors and our friends, not for who they are, but for what Christ has placed inside of them. To have a vision for people that's more than their failures or their successes. I love this uh, quote from Henry now, and he says this, to die to our neighbors means to stop judging them, to stop evaluating them, and thus to become free to be compassionate. Compassion can never coexist with judgment because judgment creates the distance, the distinction which prevents us from really being with the other. So this is the beautiful outcome of all of this is that when we really understand that we sent Jesus to the cross, that he's the one that sustains us every single day, that we wake up every morning in need of God's grace as much as we did the day before, there will be no hostility towards other believers, and we will start to love our neighbors the way that Christ does. 
So how are you going to move forward? I want you to grab your action card, if you would, real quick. Uh, This is up on your seat somewhere. And if you're brand new to ACF, we just do this every single week. And this is a way for us to take a step forward. And you can just kind of tear this thing off the bottom. It's just fun to listen to. And uh, you can drop this in the basket on the way out. And we're just going to text you one text this week to encourage you to take a step forward in this. Because if you're like me, I forget what happens in church like 10 minutes after I leave. So... It's just a way to help you move forward. We're not going to spam you or anything, but maybe your first step is to make Jesus the Lord and leader of your life. Maybe that's it today. You're like, you know what? I've put my confidence in my flesh. Or maybe you've put your confidence in someone else's and you're like, that's why I've been so angry. Because they're always going to fail me. I can't fix this person to the point that I'm, I'm happy with myself or happy with them. And that's because they are a terrible God. And you are too. And so maybe Jesus needs to be the Lord and leader of your life. Maybe today you're going to confess your law to God. What is the regulation, the law that you've placed on other people? Where you've used this good thing in your life to elevate yourself above others, to feel superior to anybody else. There there is no room for superiority in the family of God. It's all incompatible with the cross. Maybe today you will speak positively about other churches this week. Have you found yourself... Speaking negatively about other churches, I just want to be really clear, ACF Church, we will speak positively about other churches in our community. Like, it's okay to be proud of your church family, like excited about what God is doing here, but don't let that turn into speaking negatively about other churches or other church leaders. It is only going to hurt the disunity that already exists between churches in the world. And so we're going to speak positive. Maybe that's you. You're like, "Ah, I've fallen into that trap. Or maybe it's this, I'm going to take my hostility off life support this week. I've been sort of coddling the hostility I have with somebody else in the church or somebody else that's around me. I'm going to go deal with the problem. I'm going to actually hit it head on. I'm going to deal with the issue head on this week. Have a hard conversation. Make a difficult phone call. Send the text like we just got to get together because I'm just done feeling this tension between me and you. When Jesus says, you are called to be one. So you have a part to play in that this week. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you do make us one, and it's not because we are righteous or holy in and of ourselves. In fact, the reality that we are not righteous and holy is what unifies us. It's what brings us together that we all need the cross today as much as we've always needed it. And that the cross points to a God that loves us so deeply. Father, forgive us for forgetting that. Forgive us for waking up in the morning and just feeling sort of self-righteous as if we can sustain ourselves. Forgive us for coming to you in worship without even thinking about it, without trembling, God, because you are a holy God and we know apart from your grace, we are not. God, I pray for our church that you would make us one. It'd be more than unity and connection, but we would be one as brothers and sisters. One is your body, unified together, living on mission for the good of our city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.